Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Kayla Whaley, a writer living outside Atlanta with a focus on disability, sexuality, and the body. Her work has appeared at Catapult, The Toast, Michigan Quarterly Review, and The Establishment. She's getting her MFA at the University of Tampa. Kayla, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here, and it's just putting me back in mind of the last time that I saw you uh, oh in one a of the hotel best days of my life outside of Atlanta. I'm so glad uh, it was not one of the best days of my life. In as much as later, I ended up becoming very, very ill. Oh, um, but I did enjoy hanging out with you at that Marriott Starbucks. Yes, and also you taught me so, so, so much about King Henry's wives, all of them. I mean. I, those are the two things I'm good at, is getting unexpectedly ill uh, and talking about the most well-known wives in English history. It was easily the best extemporaneous lecture I've ever experienced. I, I will take that and I will run with it. And let's just use that energy um, to, to bear on all of our questions today. I should have like tried to find questions that put me in mind of the wives of Henry VIII. Um <laughs> But I didn't. I didn't. I, I do feel like I got to do a good cross-section of, like, professional problems, friendship problems, relationship problems, um, and, and some that actually combine all of the above, which I'm kind of jazzed about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Would you actually be so good as to read the first letter? Sure. I would love to. All right. The first letter is just called Too Close for Comfort. One of my very closest friends, more like family, has initiated a calculated incursion on my workplace. She applies for every job that comes up and talks about how I need to get her a job. Most recently, she applied for one that would be in my group, like in the office next door. She hasn't asked me if this is okay. I don't feel like I can tell her not to apply, but although I wish her the best, I hope she doesn't find a job here. I have no control over hiring, so there is nothing I can do. I feel terrible for feeling this way. This job has been a godsend after several very rough years, and I feel like all the good is being sucked away. So I was actually a little surprised by this letter because I was sort of reading it waiting for the problem because um, mm -hmm. it was sort of like a really good friend of mine wants to work at my company and that's a terrible reason because like I love her but she's really bad at completing projects or right. something but it's just sort of taken for granted that this is a terrible idea. Yeah, I read it and I, I feel like it's just a question of boundaries like it feels like the letter writer wants to keep their friends and their work fairly separate which I think is a pretty common impulse um but yeah it definitely there's no like reason beyond I don't want her here to not want her here you know which is fine sure. and I mean of I, I can certainly imagine any number of reasons why a person would yeah. not want a very close friend, almost like a family member, to work with them. I certainly exactly. I, I can furnish a couple of reasons why. Yeah, um, but sometimes I feel like my job is just telling people to talk to each other. But and that, that's slightly simplistic and, and slightly reductive. But like, do you think the letter writer's current strategy of not saying anything and hoping that nothing happens 
uh, is ultimately going to be the best one? Or do you think that there are other options available to them? Uh, I mean, it is decidedly not the option I would recommend. But I mean, I again, it feels like it feels like this is a communication issue because she hasn't told the friend that she doesn't want her there. And I don't I mean, I realize that would be a really uncomfortable conversation to have with even a best friend to say, hey, I love you. You're one of the closest people in my life. Don't come into this space with me um, that you clearly want to be in if maybe it's just because you want to be near me and you think it'd be fun to work together. Or maybe it's a really appealing job for this other person and it would be a great opportunity professionally for them. We don't really know what the friend's motivation is for wanting a job at this workplace so badly. Um, But yeah, I think that the phrase a calculated incursion is really interesting um, because that suggests to me that a level of like almost perceived aggression, if that makes any sense, um, on the letter writer's part about her friend's motivation. And yeah, I think that boundaries is the key word here, like just setting your own boundaries and having that un- potentially uncomfortable conversation to save yourself some heartache in the future. Because if your friend does get the job, that's going to be an even more difficult conversation to have. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and certainly the calculated incursion is like, there's clearly something going on with this friendship yeah. dynamic. Um, I, either you have felt like this person has a history of stepping on your boundaries, or you feel mm-hmm. like they just want to work together because she just wants to like spend 24 hours a day with you. I don't know what it is. Um, but there, there are, I think, a couple of options available to the letter writer. So there's the lowest impact one, um, which is like lowest conflict, lowest amount of truth telling, sort of minimum involvement, um, which is to say to your friend, hey, I have absolutely no control over hiring. Right. Um, which at least would put a stop to, uh, you know, hey, you need to get me this job um, uh, where you can just say like, hey, you know, I know you're really excited about this, but like, I just want you to have a realistic expectation of what my ability to help you is, which is basically nothing. Yeah. Um, I have no input. Um, I, I am not consulted on this. This is not my team. Um, no one will be soliciting my feedback. Um, and so if, you know, again, if she does have a history of stepping all over your boundaries or if for whatever reason you're just not feeling like being super honest with her today, yeah. that is an option, right? Um, another option is to say, hey, I would love to talk to you about this recent intense enthusiasm for working at my company. That's a nice alternative uh, and not in a way calculated incursion. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would not use that phrase. Uh, you know, no. I would save that phrase for if the fight gets really bad. Yeah. Um, but to just kind of say like, hey, we haven't really talked about this because you've been so enthusiastic. Um, I, I'm actually not as thrilled as you are. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't love you. And it's not that I don't want you to have the kind of job you really want to have. I just, you know, and, and I don't know what the reasons are. Maybe it's just literally like the idea of working in such close proximity with someone I consider a family member feels really overwhelming to me. And that's a perfectly legitimate reason. Yeah. Um, but that's the other thing, too, is like I, I genuinely don't know, like maybe this close family friend, like this is her dream job. Uh, she, you do say that she applies for every job that comes up, but I just like, maybe this is her dream company, you know? Maybe yeah. you work for like some wonderful company that she's been dying to work for for a really long time, in which case it's not so much a calculated incursion as it is like you work for a good company. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is another definite important conversation, piece of the conversation that they need to have is what is yeah, the friend's I- motivation? Like, because I feel like that could affect 
the letter writer's approach and feelings on the matter. I mean, it might not change their feelings. They might still say, hey, I still don't feel comfortable with you, you know, trying this this hard, this level to get into my workplace. But it is something to keep in mind. Yeah. And and I think that the other thing that will be helpful is to remember the things you can control and the things you can't control. So one thing mm-hmm. you can't control is whether or not she applies to work at your company. Another thing you can't control is whether or not she gets a job there. Things that you can control are whether or not you share some of these feelings of trepidation with her and whether or not you set limits with her if you ever do, if she ever does get the job. Because part of the fear right now, I, I think, is if she gets the job here, I will continue my strategy of never saying anything when she gets really enthusiastic about something that I don't like. And then I will lose the thing about my work life that I enjoy because it will be taken up by her. Which is just a breeding ground for bitterness and like resentment, honestly. Yeah. So so part of this is like you say she's been applying for a ton of jobs and she hasn't gotten anywhere with it. So I think some of what you can do is reset expectations, which is like it does not seem like the company is super interested in hiring her. You don't say she's gotten even one interview or any sort of like encouragement. So so some of what you're assuming, uh, I think, is maybe speculation. Um, so you you can hopefully let some of that go. Just just because she keeps applying does not mean she's eventually going to get a job. It's not like rolling dice over and over again where eventually you're going to roll a seven. Um, if she's not qualified, she's not qualified. Um, but but yeah, the other thing is that if she does get the job, like if absolute worst comes to absolute worst and she gets a job in the office next door, um, even though she is a close friend of yours, you could absolutely still set boundaries. And you have the kind of fabulous excuse of I'm at work. So like, yep. if she wants to stop by your office all the time or if she wants to constantly distract you, you can say things like, I need to get back to work now. I'm not available to talk right now. Thanks for this, but I have to go finish this project. Like, There's a lot of things that you can do um, if the worst happened. Yeah, I completely agree. I really, really feel like Boundaries, again, I'm repeating myself, but that just was glaring to me in this letter was like, I feel like they probably have not ever had that conversation of like, here is my limit and I need you not to cross it because clearly the letter writer is not comfortable having that conversation, which makes sense. It's a hard one to have, but yeah, worst comes to worst, it's going to need to happen. Right. And sometimes that's what people mean when they say that they have a close friend who is like family. Part of what that means is, so we don't talk about things that are disagreeable. Um, (laughs) Or we do, and we talk about it once and then never again because it goes very, very badly. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, the conversation that you should be having with this friend is not necessarily don't apply, but it either needs to be resetting her expectations and saying, hey, I cannot help you get this job. So, you know, don't keep asking. Um, Or if you're willing to push a little bit to say like, hey, not only can I not help you get this job, I actually have some reservations about it. I, I, I really want you to get the kind of job that means a lot to you. But I like keeping my professional, my personal life really separate. Um, and even if you did get the job, I would not want to be like spending a lot of best friend hangout time around the office. And that might surprise your friend. She might not know that. She might be a little hurt. And that's okay. Um, And you can, you know, reassure her. It does not mean I don't love you. Um, It's also not something she could never get over. Um, This could be valuable information for her. It could. And I think that there's a way to frame that conversation too, if you do end up having it, where you are making it about both of your well-beings. Like you don't want to present yourself as, hey, I don't want you around me, full stop. Like, talk to her, see why is she so interested in working with you? Because if it is, I just really want to work with this company. Well, 
again, that's something to consider. If it's like, oh, I just really want to be around somebody I'm familiar with in a new work environment, that's a conversation you could have about, um, like, I don't know, coping coping mechanisms for her or like in looking for a different job or, hey, what if we, you know, change something about how much time we spend together outside of work? Would that like be exciting? Like, would you want to do that? Um, Stuff like that. So I think if you frame it as, I want what's best for both of us and for our relationship. That's going to go a long way to facilitating that conversation. Yeah. And and I think, you know, remember that your problem right now is not my friend just got hired at my office. Your right. problem right now is my friend is constantly bringing this up to me and is asking me to get a job and I feel terrible. And you can do something about that right now. Like you actually can say to her the truth, which is I have no input over this. We need to drop this. Um, so this is something you can actually address. The rest is all future-based stuff. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, I can certainly relate to the idea of something bad might happen in the future. So the best response I can have to it is to constantly imagine it and react as if it were happening right now in real time. That's, oh, that's actually not real. a useful strategy. Um, it actually does not get you anywhere. Yeah. And good luck. I, I hope you do not have to work with a family friend or slash best friend. <laughs> All right, so our next letter is about whether or not to call it quits on a relationship that's kind of already over. Which, you know, spoiler alert, what my answer is probably going to be. But the subject is, when do I quit long-term love? Dear Prudence, how do you know when you're kidding yourself? I've been with my partner for five and a half years. We lived together for two years, moving in together after only six months because I needed to escape my parents. And then three years ago, I moved away to go to university. I had originally given up on going to university, but with my partner's support, I made that move and became a mature student. I love them. I'm very in love with them. The problem is we both have severe health problems that prevent us from being able to easily and routinely communicate. These health problems probably aren't ever going to go away. I love them with all of my heart, but we still go more than a week without so much as a message and months without talking on the phone. This is something that we've had serious talks about repeatedly, and we've both committed to doing better, but each time we quickly lapse back into the same problems. I feel like my partner expects me to move back to my home city and is waiting it out, but I'm increasingly sure that I won't move back. We've sort of talked about this, but cannot come to any conclusion because we really do truly and intensely still love one another. I spend most of my life feeling single and lonely, which is ridiculous. I'm in a relationship. I'm tired of bringing this up, and neither of us managed to change things, but the thought of breaking up seems untenable. Can you help me unstick myself or at least suggest new ways of tackling this repeated conversation? This one is so just sad <laughs> it just makes yeah, me so um, sad for both of them mm-hmm. i do have one thought which is uh, something that they do not seem to have discussed yet as an option which is not to say that this will be the thing that fixes everything um but they say like are there new ways of tackling this conversation i think one is has your partner considered moving to where you are that was my first thought as well oh two minds with but a single thought two hearts yes. this one because you're right, it's nowhere in here. We don't know what the partner's living situation is like. I mean, it's very possible that that's just not feasible for whatever reason. They might have a job. They might have other family in the same area, whatever. But it is something to consider and would presumably make things better considering that seems like the only option you guys can agree would make things better is living in the same place again. Um, yeah, And since the letter writer does not want to move back, which is a totally legitimate thing to think um, and to say, then that could be another option. 
Yeah. And I think, too, because, again, I don't know, maybe these, like, health problems would be such that moving would be incredibly difficult for the partner. Yeah. Um, there's there's any number of factors that might make Lord it. Lord knows um, I relate to that. Right. But but I do think, you know, the key here is the sentence, I feel like my partner expects me to move back to my home city and is waiting it out, but I am increasingly sure I won't move back. We've sort of talked about this, mm-hmm. but can't come to any conclusion because we really love each other. Um, and that suggests to me that you guys haven't really talked about it. You've maybe both both kind of lobbed impressions at one another and then kind of gotten scared because it's like, oh, if we really acknowledge this, we might feel like we have to break up and I love them. So let's let's walk it back. Yep. That was exactly the impression I got, especially considering the strength of the language used elsewhere about other conversations they've had. Like the letter writer says, it's something we've had serious talks about in terms of the communication levels repeatedly. We've both committed to doing better. So like they use really strong verbiage elsewhere. Um, but when we get to that part about moving, it's we've sort of talked about it and can't come to a conclusion. So right. it, that part feels a little bit, like you said, a little walking it back. Which I get because yeah. there's a profound fear here. Like they're very, very in love um, and they really want to stay together. Yep. And they've been together for five and a half years and have been apart for the past three. So, you know, it's they've done the long distance thing and it just sounds like it's just – it's become more and more difficult to maintain. Yeah. And now it feels like it's at a breaking point. Yeah. So I do think, again, you know, the possibility of your partner moving out to be with you. But but mostly, I think the next thing in front of you is having that conversation of, hey, and, and you know, preface it with like, here's what I'm really scared about. Like, I, I'm scared to discuss this because I, I don't know what's going to happen if we talk honestly about this. Um, and I'm really afraid to lose this relationship. Like, acknowledge the fear before you start yeah. talking, because otherwise it'll just be at the back of your mind looming over everything else and say, I think I've gotten the impression from you whenever we've talked about the future um, that you think I will move back after I graduate. Um, and that makes me really anxious because I don't want to. Um, yep. I don't want to break up. I want to be with you. But I also really don't want to move back to my hometown. I think the other line that really stuck out to me here was, I spend my life feeling single and lonely, which is ridiculous. Like, that's just devastating to me to yeah. be in such a loving long-term relationship. But the circumstances of your your distance between each other, your lack of communication, and the reasons behind it, which are not easy to overcome clearly, is you end up feeling single and lonely even though you're in this committed relationship. So clearly something's got to give. Right. So, you know, you look at what are the things that you kind of can't change? One of them, it sounds like, is how much you guys communicate. Yeah. Um, You've talked about it. You've both tried. Um, It it doesn't sound like it's happening as a result of indifference or getting distracted. It sounds like there's just some physical limitations that really can't budge. Yep. The logistics of it don't sound like they're going to change anytime soon. And I think, yeah, recognizing that and which it sounds like the letter writer at least has. has talked about how, you know, this happens. We've had this conversation a lot. It never changes. It's not because we don't want to. We just can't. So then, yeah, it's time to talk about, well, what comes after that? Like, what can we change then? Right. And and so one of those things might be the possibility of your partner moving out to be with you, um, which, you know, frankly, like if they if they once they realize that you're not going to move back and, and that that would be kind of the only option, they might be like, oh, well, shoot, I'd be willing to do that. Or they might say, no, I'm absolutely not willing to do it. Um, and you guys would at least have enough information to make a decision. Um, yeah. Or you guys may decide to, you know, break up, which sounds 
horrible and awful, but you also say that you feel single and lonely a lot of the time, um, which is painful in itself. And, I, you know, I don't want another five years of this for you. Um, yeah. And I don't think you would want another five years of this. And I don't think your I don't think your partner would want you to have another five years of this either. And I can't imagine that they're doing well with this situation either from what you've said. Yeah, I, I think have that honest conversation where you really clarify what you're not willing to do um, and stress your commitment to your partner and, and ask, you know, what other options do you think we have? And, and if you get the chance, let us know how that conversation goes, because I'm really curious to hear what it's like if you don't sort of have it, but really have it. And good luck. You know, that's it's painful. I'm sorry. I wish there was something that I could say that would just fix it. I know. It's just painful all around, especially because so much of it is like out of their control. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's always great when somebody's problem is like, you know, I'm trying to think of a great example and it's just not coming to me. But yeah, just something where it's like, oh, just do this one thing and your problem goes away. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's that's not the case here. Um, And it's kind of, I think, throws into relief sometimes the limits of advice, which usually just boils down to something like be honest with yourself and be honest with somebody else. Right. Um, Which, yeah, much easier said than done. But Sometimes it helps to have someone, you know, like you, like say, hey, here's what you should do. Talk. Use your words, children. And it helps. So that's great. And then like six months later, I realized, oh, I was talking to myself. I should do this. Yeah, (laughs) That's fantastic. All right. Would you please read our next letter? I would love to. Subject line is my brother's best friend. Dear Prudence, I'm a 40-year-old professional woman. I've dated a lot over the years, but good guys are hard to come by, especially as I get older. My brother Tom casually mentioned over Easter dinner that his best friend divorced last year. The best friend, Max, is a wonderful man, kind, family-oriented, attractive, and a successful lawyer. I've seen him a handful of times over the years, but he was always with his ex. I'd like to contact Max and invite him to lunch. However, Tom would be aghast. He keeps his friends and family very separate and would not want to meddle or pressure anyone. I worry that he'll be angry if I contact Max behind his back, but it would be a really awkward conversation if I asked him in advance. Should I ask my brother's permission before contacting Max, or should I forget about Max altogether? Well, for some reason, by the way, this just feels like a very, like, 1980s problem. Like, everyone in it just feels like a go-getter with, like, shoulder pads and big cell phones saying things like whatever busy business people said in the 80s. I'm envisioning, like, a mashup. (laughs) Of when Harry met Sally and nine to five and that John Mulaney bit where he's talking about like, got it. You are completely on point with that. Yes, that is exactly what I was thinking. And I mean, like invite him to lunch. God, is there anything more adult than like, I'm going to call a man I know through mutual friends and ask him to lunch. lunch. Oh, we're going to read newspapers and (laughs) invest in it. What was that scam in the 80s? Like savings and loan or whatever? Oh, probably. I feel like this I'm is too embarrassing young for that. that I don't know what this was. Uh, the savings and loan crisis of the 1980s was the failure of 1,043 out of the 3,234 savings and loan associations in the United States. Okay, I learned something. Yeah, I learned a little bit Good about. To know. I just I I vaguely remember like late night jokes from when I was like a baby. <laughs> I love that. That's your point of reference because I was like, listen, I almost. Like, I didn't almost fail economics, but for me, I almost failed economics. And so, like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't even know that I took an economics course. I don't believe that that was required. I had to take two of them. It was horrible. At any rate, we are getting really far afield from this professional woman's problem, um, which is whether or not she should ask out her brother's divorced best friend. 
Um, you know, I, I, I will often in situations like this, because I'll sometimes get one of somebody who's like, my sibling is dating an ex of mine from like eight years ago and they're in love and I'm miffed. And I'm like, you should let it go. Because I'll, I'll try to look at like what what are the pros and what are the cons here? And if one of it's like we dated ages and ages ago and they're in love, it's sort of like, yeah, like one takes precedence over the other. So here yeah. you have a man you know. You've seen him a handful of times. You don't say anything about like, I feel like there was a vibe or he seemed to really like me or just that you've met him and he was married and now he's not. And then on the other hand, you have the fact that your brother would be really upset. Aghast, specifically. So, you know, you, you certainly can, you know. There's there's not, like, a law against doing it. If it's me and the, you know, and I have that little to go on with Max and that much to know about how stressful that situation would be with my brother, I'd, I'd probably not do it. But... Yep. But that's you know, I, I'm 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 low conflict, and and I don't think that that should necessarily be what guides you. So, yeah, and also I've I've had my fair share of like sibling arguments and like uncomfortable situations. So personally, I would like to avoid that at all costs. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. You're a forty year old woman. You're a grown woman. He's a grown man. So is Max. So I guess like. Do it if you really want to, but it just literally all you have to go on is he's attractive and available, Um, which like, hey, I I mean, get yours basically. But yeah, I don't know. I'm rambling and trying to say I wouldn't do it personally because like I feel like your brother and your relationship with him is going to be more important to you in the long run. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I think part of the reason that I'm waffling on this is is because it's such a cold call, right? It's literally just like, hey, I heard you got divorced. Right. Do you want to go out? get lunch? As opposed to like we ran into one another and had a surprisingly like chemistry filled conversation. I've been thinking about it a lot the last couple of weeks. I want to give him a call. Like if yeah. that had happened, I would be way more inclined to say yes. But the reason I think I'm I'm waffling on this one is because there's no indication that Max is interested. Right. And again, like, the fact that he is your brother's best friend and you have only met him a handful of times tells me a lot about your brother. Like, I mean, you say that he keeps his friends and family separate, but that's keeping them really separate, I feel like, because, like, my best friend is essentially integrated into the family. Like, she almost has her own bedroom here, which I know Mm -hmm. we're not the norm but yeah i feel like max might not even really know who you are so besides like oh that's my best friend's sister i think i remember her which is not to say that he would say that but yeah i I think what i'm coming down more on here is not the brother thing but like should you cold call people that you've briefly met because you heard they got divorced and that to me i think is the thing where i'm like "Mm, maybe don't do that because it just feels so, like, odd. Like, he doesn't really know you. But, again, maybe yeah. that's how people go out. Like, honestly, like, there are worse things than just saying, like, hey, I heard you were single. I really liked getting to meet you. Would you ever like to get lunch? Yeah. That's, like, I say that out loud. That's, like, that a question you can say yes or no to. Um, so I'm going to set aside, like, my personal preferences and biases or whatever, which is generally <laughs> speaking, like, unless I get a sign from the heavens, I assume somebody's not interested. Um yeah, you can absolutely, you know, give Max a call 
Um, you do not need to give your brother a heads up, um, in part because there's an excellent chance that Max will say thanks, but no. Um, yep. But if he does, then you can always say to your brother, like, hey, I, I called Max up and I asked him out. We're going to go on a date. Um, and I think that that's probably the better way to go about it because you're letting your brother know rather than asking his permission. Because my guess yeah. is if you called your brother and you said this and he said don't, you would not say, okay, I won't. Right. So I, I never think you should ask a question that you really don't want to hear an answer to. Like, I think if, if you're genuinely like, eh, even if he said no, I'd still go for it if Max was up for it, then I think you should just tell him rather than ask permission if you don't really think that you would stop if he said don't do it. Yep, I agree. Yeah. So, you know, my inclination is not to do it mostly because there's no indication that Max likes you back. But if you do, just give him a call. Do a sort of casual, do you want to get lunch sometime? Catch up. You seem cool. Um, I'd like to get to know you a little better. And if he says yes, great. Let your brother know. If he gets really aghast, that's kind of fine. You don't have to worry about that so much. You can just be like, hey, I hear that this is weird for you. We're just getting lunch. We're not getting married. Um, I promise I will not involve you, uh, you know, unnecessarily in my personal life. I just wanted to let you know. And that's fine. That was a very, like, concise way to boil all of that like ridiculousness we were just spouting off into something coherent so congratulations well, you know i have been doing this job for almost two and a half years that's true you're a literal professional actually slightly more than two and a half now um has it all right. been that would, long wow uh, yeah yeah i started in 2015 and Jeez. it is now halfway through 2018 time does a whole thing or like it's beautiful did i start in 2014 i don't know i have no idea when i started this job i've been at it a while <laughs> okay um would you please read our next letter Sure. Subject line of name woes. Dear Prudence, I'm a cis woman who's always disliked my feminine name. Recently, I've decided that I'd like everyone to call me by a gender neutral version of my name, and I hope to express this wish to my friends soon. I think that they'd comply since they're progressive, but I worry that they'll see this change as a small step to me coming out as trans. I think some people already suspect I'm a closeted trans man because I have a masculine appearance. I'm not. If I say my name is X, I'm still a woman, and my pronouns are she, she, her, I think it'll seem very suspicious. But I also don't want everyone gossiping or wondering about whether I'm trans even more than they might already. Am I overthinking this? Is there anything I can say to reveal my chosen name and to stop potential rumors? So as to your first question, am I overthinking this? I think I can safely say yes, a little bit, which is, you know, fine. Um, but yeah, you are overthinking this a little bit. You are absolutely allowed to change your name. Uh, it is not rude or or dismissive of trans people for you no. to change your name. Nor is it terribly uncommon, I don't think, for people to be like, hey, I know you've called me this before, but I actually prefer this name. I feel like that's a pretty normal thing. Is that just me? But I feel like that's normal. People sometimes go by nicknames. People sometimes right. end up going by middle names. People sometimes change their names or the spelling of their names. It is not a uniquely trans phenomenon, um, and it is not something that you have to worry, like, excessively about, um, am I stepping on the toes of trans people by changing my right. names, or name, rather. Um, and I think it's absolutely fine Um if you let your friends know when you're changing your name, just say, like, by the way, like, there's no other changes coming down the pike. It's it's just the name. I'm not trying to signal anything else about my identity, um, just in case you are wondering. Like, that's a perfectly fine thing to say. But you do not have to, like, give people, like, a little business card that says, like, you know, here here here's everything that you need to know about me. Like, you don't need to right. worry that, um, that that's going to be the thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fine to be anxious about people getting a mistaken impression about you, but also, you know, uh, one of the things that's tricky about being alive is you cannot control what everyone says about you. And if there are yep. occasionally people who may assume that you may be trans, um, you know, unless they're having a direct conversation with you, you just can't control that. Um, and I think it's it's good to kind of let that go. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like, change your name, go with a gender neutral version of the name that you like, um, especially with your close friends. Feel very free to say, like, I've thought about this a lot. Here's why I'm jazzed about it. And I just want to make sure that you guys know you're not missing anything. Um, this is not a, an attempt to to start any other kind of conversation. It's just the name. Um, and that's totally, totally fine to share with your friends. Yeah, this is just going to be more comfortable for me. Yeah. And you say you think some people already suspect. Um, and I would just, you know, maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Um, it's 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 one of the weird things about being alive is that we don't always really know what other people do think of us. Um, and I, I don't mean to suggest that, like, you're misreading everybody's take on you. But it's just like unless someone asks you a direct question or signals in some way that they have a certain assumption, you just, you know, if 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 that does occasionally happen, that's okay. You know, sometimes people mistakenly make assumptions about our sexual orientation or gender identity, and 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 that just can't be helped. Yeah, and it sounds like the people who might maybe suspect something, it sounds like it's not really affecting your relationship with them in any way. It's just like this, like kind of weird inkling you've got about what they might think. So yeah, I don't. I think unless it becomes like an issue and you're actively uncomfortable about it, then probably it's best to just like you know be you like present your gender how you want to like use whatever name you want like be your awesome masculine appearing self like that's awesome yeah yeah that's a fabulous fabulous way to get to be um and you know if nothing else by dint of like not transitioning or changing your pronouns people will realize that you are in fact cis um yeah. and and then yeah. that's that's fabulous um yeah, I, I think that you are doing great and you should go with the version of your name that you like. And it sounds like your friends are going to be really supportive. Um, and I think it will feel maybe a relief when you get to share that and also just to get to clarify, um, I'm cis. Um, and yep. that will feel great. Congratulations. I hope that you yeah. really enjoy getting called by your new name. It's really great when you can pick a name that you enjoy being called by and just <laughs> go for it. Amen. All right. I forget if you read that last letter. or if I, I did. did. Okay, it's my turn then. Thank goodness. The subject line of this one is a virgin mother. Dear Prudence, ever since I was little, I've wanted children, but I've never been sure about wanting a partner. Therapy has done little to help my severe anxiety over romantic relationships. I'm 26 and have been on one date and only really ever made it to third base. I'm wondering if I should just accept myself for how I am and embrace single motherhood or keep trying. I was raised by a single mother, so I'm aware of the difficulties. But I'm so scared that one day I'll wake up and realize I made a mistake. Is it weird that I just want to give them a hug? I just no. really want to be like, honey, it's okay. Instinctive responses great. of compassion and, you know, a, a marker of physical closeness makes a ton of sense to me. <laughs> That's really lovely. I love the way you just said that. Thank you. But yeah, I don't know that I have like a lot of relevant, you know, experience or thoughts on this particular one, but 
I just want you, I just want to be like, you're doing great. I think you're wonderful. And I don't know. I I mean, I feel like if you have that much aversion to being in a relationship that you're actively in therapy, either to combat it or to just deal with it or just address it in whatever way, then yeah, don't worry about getting into a relationship right now. I don't feel like you need that stress in your life. Um, I don't know that I can talk to the about the children aspect because like that's just not a part of my life, nor is it going to be a part of my life for a variety of reasons. But like I feel like if you want children, which you clearly do, and you don't want to be in a relationship, which you clearly don't, then awesome. Like you could kill it as a single mom. Like I fully believe that. Yeah. I mean, you say I'm scared that one day I'll wake up and realize I made a mistake, which is unfortunately just like part of the condition of being alive. Um, Right. You might have that day. And there's kind of not really a way to live your life such that that day never comes. Um, You know, you can try to pay attention to yourself as best you can. You can try to make well-informed and well-thought-out decisions. Um, But there's no way to act today that guarantees tomorrow you won't wake up and think, oh, fuck, I need to change my entire life. Yeah. So let's just start with that, right? Like you might have a child and regret it. You might have a child and not regret it. You might have a child and regret it for a little while and then not regret it later. You might not have children and regret it bitterly. You might not have children and regret it a tiny bit. Like there's a number of possibilities. So many options. The hard part about kids is you kind of don't know until you have one whether or not it was the right idea. Or like, I mean, I'm sure everybody has different moments where they feel like something was or wasn't a good idea. But you can't like test drive a child. One of the reasons that I'm probably I'm never going to have any because yeah, like I can't even commit to a coffee flavor. I mean, the good news is you can have multiple cups of coffee throughout the day. Exactly. I don't ever have to really choose. Yeah. Yeah. Um that was a terrible so, analogy. I apologize. No problem. You're doing great. <laughs> um th- there's a couple of things here, right? One of which is like I have a lot of anxiety about romantic relationships. There's that sort of implication of sexual experience and whether or not that plays a role in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then whether or not to be a single parent. So uh, with the single parent thing, you say you've always known you've wanted children, um, but you've never been sure about wanting a partner. You yourself were raised by a single mother. You have pretty realistic, a pretty realistic sense of the difficulties therein. So in terms of whether or not you might ever decide to become a single parent, I think you have some good qualifications, right? Like, yep. you've always been pretty sure about the kid thing, not so sure about the partner thing, have realistic expectations. I'll also say this, like, you're you're, you're 26, you know what I mean? Like, that's not, you're doing great, right? Like, yep. 26, you do not need to make this decision tomorrow. This is a decision that can be, you know, made at any point during the next, like, 10 to 15 years. Um, and there's also uh, the fact that, like, single dumb is not a permanent condition. Like, if you choose at some point in the future after you've had kids or before you've had kids that you do want to have a relationship and you find somebody you want to partner with, that's great. You can do that. Like you can always change that aspect later on as it comes up. Right. And, you know, we'll also like throw in a plug for you don't have to parent with a romantic partner. I know that That most people who parent with a partner do, um, but that is not the only way to do it um, and that you have other options. But, yeah, mostly I would say right now, 26, you're in therapy. You have severe anxiety over romantic relationships. If you feel like I'd like to have a kid in three years, that's fine. And I think you can find ways to make that happen. Um, But don't feel like I need to figure out in the next six months whether or not I'm going to be partnered and have a child with that person. 
Um, yeah, no. I, I think I would look at those as almost two separate things, one of which is like, what is ideally the timeline for me wherein I would like to start having children? And do I feel ready and like I have the sort of like tools that I need to try dating right now? Um, and if the answer to the dating thing is no, like I'm severely anxious, I get really upset, I get really stressed out, then then don't put that burden on yourself. Like, no, don't. there's no need. Don't feel like the only way you can get to be a single parent is if you like push yourself through the ringer of trying to date when it's very painful for you. And only when you've like suffered a sufficient amount are you allowed to get the thing that you want. Because sometimes we do that. Sometimes we think I can only have the thing that I want if I suffer a lot first. And I don't think that that is a super productive strategy. I that was a lot for me to handle that one sentence. That was that was a lot of feelings right now. Yeah, I mean, you know. I, I, sorry. I think I think we have all experienced that in one way or another, um, and it's it's sometimes you don't realize you're doing it until you kind of hear yourself say it out loud, like, "Oh, I can only be a single parent if I've like really proven to myself that I am like quote unquote a failure at dating," um, because we'll sometimes feel like we don't deserve the things that we want unless we have like suffered for some invisible audience. Um, and not that everybody's yeah. that way, obviously, like maybe that that's not your particular, um, you know, uh, internal wiring. And I'm just projecting my own issues onto yours. But like, you know, when it comes to stuff like transitioning, I've certainly felt that way. Right. Mm -hmm. and, like in terms of like, OK, only if I've like proven to myself that I've like suffered in the following ways. Can I have this thing that I want? Um, and uh, yep. I would not encourage anyone else to treat themselves that way. So I would hope that other people could be spared uh, things that don't work well. I completely am with you. Yeah. But yeah, you know, letter writer, I I, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, I don't know if you're going to meet somebody. Uh, I don't know if you're going to have a child and then meet somebody. I don't know if you're going to have a child and not meet anybody. Um, I'll say that there's probably no way you can live your life right now that will guarantee you will never wake up and realize you made a mistake. Um, I think most mistakes are, if not fixable, are at least addressable. Um, you know, some aren't certainly in the sense like if you wake up and you have a seven-year-old and you're like, oh, I should never have done this you still have to raise that seven-year-old. But that if you wake up and you're like, I need more help than I'm getting, or I want to change something about my life, there's often little things that you can do to make that shift. Um, and that whether or not you decide to become a single parent, I don't think you should feel like you have to force yourself to go on like 50 dates um, first. And, yeah, no. and that if you have a lot of clarity about children and not a partner, then I think that's sufficient reason to go ahead and, and have children. And good luck. Yeah. And again, you're doing great. You're doing fabulous, you know? So you're proud doing, of you. You're, you're doing a lot. You're in therapy. You're 26. That's a great age to be in therapy. Congratulations on being, frankly, slightly ahead of the curve. Um, yep. And I hope that it pays off. All right. Will you take our last letter? I will. This one's a doozy. Yeah. All right. Subject line, how to help a depressed slash anxious friend. Dear Prudence, my best friend of 20 years recently developed paralyzing anxiety followed by depression. She was always a bit of a warrior, but she also had three young kids, two dogs, and is a stay-at-home mom, so that worrying made sense to me. She's 40 years old and has no prior history of mental illness. Recently, her father, with whom she has a strained relationship, became ill. She agreed to become his power of attorney, and this is when it all went awry. I was able to direct her and provide many contacts and colleagues to walk her through the process, so he's now being cared for in a great home. Still, for whatever reason, this has sent my friend over the edge. This all happened around Christmas time, and since then she's been barraging me daily with anxious texts. 
She gets anxious over things that are meaningless to most, but they are always associated with her father. She will text me about how to address an envelope, how to send certified mail, how to sign a document, things she's done millions of times before. I will give her an answer, but then she'll question that answer. And this goes on for hours and days. She won't make decisions. If she feels she screws something up, she determines that means she's worthless. She's in counseling and on medication, but she continues to drink alcohol every day despite being told it can affect the medication. She's checked out of the kids' lives entirely, and her husband has had it up to here with her. I truly can't imagine how it must be to live with her in this state. I told her to resign and not help her dad, but she won't. I've been very good about answering all of her texts no matter what I'm doing, but it's starting to grow old and get irritating. I have a fiancé, and I work 60 hours a week. When I try to discuss my life with her, or even joke with her, there's no response. It's like she didn't even read that part or listen. She wants immediate responses when I'm working, and everything is an emergency to her. I'm at my wit's end here. I want to help her, but I don't know how much more abject panic I can take. Help. Oh, man. Yeah, this sounds incredibly distressing. So distressing. Yeah. On lots of levels. It's hard for the kids. It's hard for your friend. It's hard for you. You know. Yeah, there's nobody in this situation having a good time. Yeah, no one's like, man, I'm getting away with all the best stuff. This is really working out for me. (laughs) No. Oh, yeah. I had to like take a breath after I read this one because I was like, gosh, that's a lot. That's just a lot for everybody to handle. Yeah. What do you feel like is the best strategy for the letter writer? I honestly can't decide. Like, okay. So part of me wants to say that, I mean, the letter writers, your health and your mental well being and your like exhaustion levels or whatever, those are worthy and important to consider too. Like, you have to look after yourself. Self care is important. Um, And if, you know, it sounds like you, are sort of bearing the brunt of the support role here. Um, it sounds like her husband has sort of abdicated that role a little bit. Um, and it doesn't sound, you don't mention anybody else in a support network really besides her therapist, um, which, you know, obviously should be the crux of her support network. But um, so like on one hand, I'm like, you know, I I get that that can be very overwhelming and it's okay if you have to set some boundaries um, and if this is, you know, sort of interfering with your own life and your own well-being, then that's something to consider. But at the same time, the phrasing of it's getting old and irritating, um, I don't know. That that makes me think that maybe maybe it's not an issue of boundaries and it's not an issue of, like, you – the letter writer are unable to do the things that she's asking you to do to support her, um, which is essentially texting and sometimes talking, um, which can, I don't mean to minimize that. That's a, it sounds really intense and like the level of communication is extremely high and very focused on her and not on you at all, which is another component. Um, So yeah, I honestly have, I don't know. I'm not sure what I would suggest. I, think that it's great that you have been so supportive and so present for her when she needs you. Um, It sounds like not, I mean, I'm not a doctor. Let's clarify that real quick. Um, But the fact that she is asking you things like, how do I address an envelope? How do I sign a document? 
Um, it sounds like she might be having some like executive dysfunction along with the depression and the anxiety, which I have also experienced and it is very no fun. Um, and that she just needs that sort of reassurance and like help getting things done, even really simple things that seem like they should be absolutely no problem because she's done it a million times before. Everyone has done this a million times before. It's not hard. But sometimes your brain makes it hard because sometimes your brain is an asshole and it sounds like hers is being one. But yeah, I'm rambling because I don't know. Um, there's just so much here to consider. There's right the kids. I feel so like I feel for those kids immensely. Um, there's the fact that she is in counseling and on medication, which is wonderful. Like I'm so glad that she is getting some level of like help, but then she's still drinking every day, which sounds, you know, contraindicated with the medication. And so, but there's nothing you can do about that, really. So I don't know. What do you think? I'm sorry. I'm talking a lot. Yeah, I I, I think I'm with you on a lot of this. I think one thing that I do think is important is that, um, again, as long as you're sort of behaving with a baseline level of like kindness and respect, it is okay, I think, to feel privately frustrated yes. or irritated with somebody else's behavior, even as you're aware that it's not necessarily something that's within a lot of their control. Um, oh, yeah. I'd hope and, I didn't suggest that it wasn't okay to feel that way. Yeah, or, or just that it's even okay to set limits before it's like, you know, my health is at stake. It's also just yeah, okay to true. set limits because you don't like something, even if somebody else is dealing with something that, like, you recognize is very difficult. Um, and, and so I think, you know, if she is texting you throughout the day, like, when you were at work, um, and you already know that she has a lot of contacts and colleagues um, to walk her through the process and that her father is being really well cared for. So, you know, there's not an emergency, right? Yeah. Like, you know, she's having a lot of anxiety about addressing an envelope in one afternoon, um, as painful and difficult as it may be to know that your friend is suffering in that way. Um, it, it also seems like, you know, that texting with her for the next four hours that she does know how it's to do it is help. actually maybe not the most helpful thing you can do for her. Um, yeah. And that in those moments, it's actually really okay to say, I'm not available to talk about this with you. I encourage you discuss it with, you know, X or Y point person. I love you. Let's talk later. Um, yeah. And, and to set that limit. And if she follows that up with a lot of intense text messages, um, it's really hard, I think, sometimes when you're with a friend who's dealing with something like this to figure, like, um, am I being cold or harsh if I don't respond to somebody else's emotional levels? Um, and I think, you know, you as somebody who knows her pretty well will be a better judge of, like, when is a genuine emergency and when is um, when is it okay for me to say, like, I encourage you to talk to somebody else about this. I can't be available for this right now. Um, yep. But to also, like, set a time for either later in the day or later in the week for you two to connect. Um and, and it's also okay for you to say things like, hey, I'd love to catch up maybe like on a weekly basis, but I'm not going to be available to answer a lot of logistical questions. Um, that's yeah. okay for you to say, too. And it's also okay for you to say occasionally like, hey, we've been talking about this for a while. I'd really like to talk to you about how my life is going. Again, I know that a lot of this feels like big and I'm not suggesting you do it all in one day where you're just like, and I'm not going to answer these questions anymore. And now we're going to talk about my stuff. And I just want you to get over all this. Like, yeah, I don't no, want that that's to be. Not, that's not recommended. Right. And I think you're aware this is probably not going to go away anytime soon. She's receiving, you know, help both like medically and therapeutically. And it's, you know, helping some, but it's not like, quote unquote, fixing the problem. Um, and she's also doing some self-medicating on alcohol that sounds like it's kind of um, contraindicating the medication that she's taking. Um, so these are just, I think, strategies that are going to help um, 
you figure out what aspects of your relationship you can be there for um, yeah. while this is going on and just not knowing when is this going to change? Will it change? Um, will things ever return to the previous status quo or will there just be a new um, way of interacting with your friend from now on? Because we just don't know that, right? Yeah. I also feel like that it's very possible that your friend just maybe doesn't even realize what she's doing. Um, like, particularly in the ignoring or not responding when you're talking about yourself. Um, I say that as someone who has been that person and not realized that I have done that. Um, if I get like really in my head and it's helpful for me personally, when my friends say, Hey, let's talk about this other thing that like is important to me. Um, which makes me sound like a really terrible friend. I promise I'm not, but, um, so I don't know. I think that, yeah, I agree with everything you just said. And, I think it could be worthwhile to even just point out gently, like, hey, so, like, explicitly, like, we haven't talked about, like, my stuff lately. Can I share something that's really exciting or, like, something that I, you know, think you would be interested in or whatever, um, just to sort of get that, that, that component of the relationship back into the foreground a little bit, um, especially with mental health stuff. It's so easy for those little seemingly little like day-to-day things to get lost like the good stuff and i don't know i think that that could be really helpful again i mean i don't know your friend but that could be something yeah and i think to balance the compassion that you feel for your friend um with appropriate limits because i feel like right now what you're setting yourself up for is eventual ghosting or blowing up at her Neither of which are going to be helpful, right? Where in your mind, you you confuse compassion with doing everything your friend wants on her terms, on her timeline. And then eventually when that stops working. Right. Which is what I meant with like, yeah, self-care. Like you have to make right. sure that you are also taken care of in the ways that you need because, you know, it's the whole airplane oxygen mask thing, right? Like right. you can't help if you're drowning as well. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's not necessarily helpful to do all of those things. So I think instead of doing that, to say things like, I cannot give you an immediate response on this, um, and this is not an emergency. I mean, maybe don't say this is not an emergency. That may not be helpful. But just go with like, I can't talk about this with you right now. I'm at work. And that might feel like, oh, how could I possibly say that? She might get really upset. Um, And she might. And she also might not. Like, it also might not be the emergency that you think it's going to be if you say, like, this is actually not an emergency. And then really do that. Really don't check your phone. Really get back to work. Um, Because, you know, um, she does have other resources in her life um, and she will be able to turn to them um, if you are not available to text her about these things at like three in the afternoon. Um, Yeah. And I also think that there's a difference, too. And this is, you know, just probably important for the letter writer to keep in mind to feel better about like these boundaries is there's a difference between invalidating your friend's feelings and your friend's anxiety and your friend's like state and saying I can't do that like there's a difference between saying right. you're being unreasonable and I just can't like those are two separate things um and I think that's why I got a little hung up on the irritating word like that reads to me like your feelings are invalid, which I know is not what the letter writer is saying at all. Like, they're clearly yes. very, very loving and compassionate and caring. Um, but, yeah, so, like, that's sort of just a way to sort of approach how you frame your responses um, to just make it as neutral, like, value neutral as possible. 
Right. Yeah, because you're not like I, I don't want you to say to her like this is dumb and not a real emergency and you need to just like calm down about it because that's not helpful. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, a, a super not cool thing to say to somebody who's dealing with like rampant depression and anxiety. Um, but it is OK for you to say, you know, I, I can't help you with this right now. You know, I love you. We'll talk later. But you need to call your doctor or your therapist or somebody else. Um, yeah. Because one of those is saying, like, this is not a real problem and you shouldn't feel this way. And the other one is just truthfully acknowledging your own limits without making any sort of judgment call about whether or not your friend is right to feel the way that she feels. Yep. That's, I think, the key point there. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I'm i sure your friend is not like, man, I really get a lot out of stressing out about these things. Like, I, I don't think that she's doing this because... Um, like she she doesn't want to have these emergencies, I think, any more than you do. Yeah. And I can almost guarantee you that she does not want to negatively affect you or your life in any way. And probably, I mean, this is pure speculation, one million percent. But I would wager there's a strong chance that she feels terrible every time she has to ask you something like I nobody likes being that person. Like nobody wants to be that friend who like constantly needs help and constantly needs validation and needs like assistance. But it's also totally legitimate, like we've said, to recognize that you can't always be that person. Someone else needs to be that person sometimes too. Yeah. And it's hard, right? Like, you know, you're also aware that there's ways in which she's like not able to to parent the way that she used to right now and that it's really hard on her husband and that there's some concern about her drinking. And like, those are all pretty big things, too. And I think you might be able to devote a little bit more uh, time or energy to figuring out whether or not you can do anything helpful there when you're yeah. not dealing with the sort of like daily triage of answering all these text messages. And again, like I know she's your best friend of many, many years. Those are also not necessarily problems that you have to fix for her. But like, of course, for a very dear friend you've known for decades, of course, it's going to trouble you when you realize that this is affecting her ability to parent. Like that's uh, that's just a given. That's just yeah, it's just so difficult all around. Like it's difficult to be the person watching this happen without any real like feeling like you don't have any real way to help. And it's difficult to be that person who's like, you know, not doing well and wants to be doing better. And yeah, it's just, yeah, nobody's having fun. But I fully believe that you both can, you can do this. Like you can love that person. You can love your friend and you can take care of yourself at the same time. Um, I think that those are completely compatible things, even in a difficult situation like this. So I know we've already gone a little bit over, but I really want to play this voicemail. Okay, let's do it. Uh, Dear Prudence, a few months ago, I was walking out of a bar hand in hand with my boyfriend. As we were headed towards our lift, uh, we passed a couple of guys on the street walking in the opposite direction. And one of them sort of stopped my boyfriend, kind of held his hand up to his chest and said, dude, you're handsome. What are you doing with her? And it stung. Uh, really hard. I got in the lift and kind of started awkwardly crying alone with the driver because my boyfriend said he wanted to go back and quote-unquote talk to the guy. Uh, he eventually came back to my relief because the lift driver obviously wanted to go, uh, saying that he was unable to find him in the crowd. Um, he could tell how upset I was, and he tried everything to reassure me, uh, but it still really hurt. So... Like I said, it's been a few months now, and this incident is still something that I think about. Uh, it's 
it's not like it's on my mind all the time, but as, as soon as I start to feel insecure, it's memory that takes over uh, in a way that I really don't want it to. I've always had, I've always felt insecure um, about my looks and at times have agreed with this random stranger and kind of felt like my boyfriend might be more attractive than me, but of course never thought that, that was a reason he shouldn't be with me. Um, but either way, I took it as kind of objective evidence. Um, just an outsider's perspective, looking in, um, and that that really hurt. And what I hate about all of this most is that despite my knowing better, um, I'm still letting it get to me. Um, I feel like I've been really diligent about the ways that I self-reflect um, as a feminist, always trying to, striving to avoid um, reducing myself to my physical qualities, um, despite constant cues that I should do just that. So I also know that being hurt by this gives his words power, and I really don't like that. Um, I know he was just a douchey guy at a bar. I know that my boyfriend doesn't see me as less than. So why can't I let it go? So this is like the nightmare, right? Oh, my God. Like you're literally just going down the street and a stranger says something to you that you've often worried privately about yourself, and you're just like, okay. Great. Oh, I just, I, again, another person I want to just give a giant hug to. Like, yeah. Uh, There is a guy not far from this studio who hangs out a lot outside of uh, some of the coffee shops uh, in Berkeley near, uh, uh, near campus. And he often likes to say stuff to strangers as they pass by. Oh, Um, God. And he sometimes likes to say stuff to me. And sometimes he doesn't. Like, it's just infrequently enough that, uh, like, my heart rate, like, triples every time I walk past him. Um, And I'm just always like, just, like, play it cool. Play it super cool. Um, And one of the first times that I ever wore men's shoes, I had been shopping with a friend of mine in the city. And I found this really, like, great pair of Oxfords that I liked a lot. And they were, like, a tiny bit too big. But not noticeably. It wasn't like clown shoes. I wasn't like slipping around in them. They were just a tiny bit too big. And I was like, whatever. I'll get little like um, insoles or whatever, like to to make them. Yeah, like better. inserts or something. Yeah, and I have since bought better fitting shoes. But I like really liked them. And then I was like walking, and I like he hadn't said anything to me the last couple of times I'd seen him. So I was feeling kind of relaxed, like maybe he's he's cool now. And as I walked past him to record this show, this was like a year year and a bit ago um he like very quietly whispered as i walked past like you know those shoes are too big for you oh my god like oh my god and he whispered (sighs) it was such a which is such a power move and i was just like oh he whoo he gets it better than like he knows what those shoes represent he knows Mm -hmm. this is new for me he knows that I don't have years of experience buying this kind of shoes, and he knows I'm a fraud. No. Um, Like, I don't condone violence of any kind, really, but, like, if I lived in Berkeley, I could accidentally, you know, hit some toes. That's all I'm saying. No, no, no. Look, this man is out here speaking wicked truth to me, and, (laughs) uh, you know, obviously he and I are going to play some sort of, you know, important thematic role in one another's lives before the final conflagration comes down on all of us and i can't you know i can't preemptively push him off of the play you know he's i have we missed need you yeah so this is uh, again like just to reassure you letter writer 
this is horrible. Like the fact that you are still yeah. thinking about this a couple of months on um, is incredibly understandable to me. Yes. Like I still think about this guy and the shoes. And that was well over a year ago. Um, in part because I think we tend to assume that the worst things about us that anyone says are the truest, right? Yeah. Like, you know, everyone else I can't really trust because they care about me and they're probably sugarcoating things. But if somebody I don't know or who doesn't wish me well says something designed to hurt me, it can't be for any reasons about, like, where they're coming from or a desire to hurt me. It's got to just be they're so committed to truth uh, that they had to say this. Um, whereas I'm willing to bet, you know, caller, if you were walking down the street and this same guy, like, put a hand in your boyfriend's chest and said something about the electoral college um, <laughs> or, like, where to find the best fish in your town, you wouldn't necessarily be like, ah, the voice of wisdom. <laughs> like, you would not. Or, like, here's how you should talk to your parents. Like, you you would maybe listen to him, but you wouldn't necessarily think, like, oh, this guy's got it. This guy knows what's up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you, the caller even specifically said something about, like, objectivity. Like, this is somebody objective looking in from the outside with a clear view of the situation. And, like, that's not – no, that's not how that works. And I know you know that that's not how that works. But that voice in your head saying that, oh, no, this is this is 1 million percent true. Like, the truth, the only truth is it's so hard. Like, it's so hard to not to not listen to it, to not let it – play over and over again like lord knows i mean i have essentially made a career so far on writing about all the horrible things that people have said and that i think about myself and like working through that like every one of my essays just about is me processing that um particularly in terms of like my looks and the way people view my body and the way i view my body in response so i don't think there's anything like wrong or unfeminist about feeling that way about just like having those feelings they suck and i hate it for you and i don't want you to have them but i also don't want you to be too hard on yourself for having them like that's not that doesn't make you a bad person or a bad feminist or like you're giving some guy power like it's just it's one of those things like feel your feelings is my unhelpful advice (laughs) Yeah. And just in those moments when you're tempted to think like this guy held the truth, everyone else is trying to be nice to me, but this guy was the one person who was really willing to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Just think like this guy was stumbling down the street. He threw his hand up in a stranger's chest and said, hey, dude, you're handsome. What are you doing with her? Mm -hmm. Like, is that objective behavior? Is that the act of a bold truth teller? Do you know what I mean? Like this guy's not like Samuel Peeps walking out of a coffee shop, having just learned of the latest news from Vienna, you know, straightening his quizzing glass and striding forth into the Enlightenment or whatever. Like, this is the behavior of a cruel and drunken boor who's attempting to stir shit and start a fight. Um, Yep. Who's randomly accosting strangers like nothing about this guy's behavior suggests to me that it was born out of calm and reasoned objectivity yeah Um, the furthest thing from that like patently and on its face misogynist Um, the fact that he was addressing your boyfriend about your appearance again like it just makes it really clear like where was he coming from he wanted to hurt a woman 
Um, and he mm-hmm. wanted to make it clear that he did not think you were worth addressing. He wanted to address you through the man you were with. Like, yep. this dude's not objective. Uh, he's 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 very aware way. that, like, a really easy, sexist way to take a shot at a woman is to talk about and to denigrate her looks. Um, and by the way, too, you don't say that this guy was like a young Apollo. Um, not that that would have made it okay, but again, it's no. just like another point in the category of like, maybe not, maybe he is not like Paris judging the three goddesses on who will get the golden apple of discord. Do you know what I mean? Like, he he might not be the best judge of, all of which is besides the point, right? Like, whether or not he was super babely or or not at all comely um, is not the point. I just, I, I hope you can let go of this mental image that you have in your mind, which must be the, the, the gap between our respective attractivenesses must be so profound that a mere stranger walking down the street was so struck by it that he was moved to speech, rather yeah. than a drunk, sexist, misogynist asshole wanted to hurt a woman and decided to hurt me. Because yep. that's what and happened. probably for no other reason than the fact that you were there. Like, it yeah. probably would have just been, I mean, it, I know it would have just been whoever was nearest when that impulse struck was going to be the target. Yeah, again, I think there's that fear of like, man, if he had walked past a couple that he thought were really appropriately matched, he would have stopped them and said, hey, good job. You're both the same level of attractive. No, this guy's not an objective truth teller. He's a sexist asshole and he wanted to hurt a woman and he would have found something to say that was hurtful and cruel um, in that moment, regardless of who was walking past him. But I do just also want to like recognize again that I feel like the caller like te- like knows that, but it's just so different. I mean, not that it's not worth repeating emphatically from us as well, because it helps to hear it from somebody else as well. Um, but I think the the fact that it's still hurtful and that it was hurtful in the moment and that it is now, even though you know, like on an intellectual level, that this is not something like all the things that we've been saying. Even though you know that, it's really hard to also feel it and believe it. Um, And that's okay, I think. Like, I think that this shit takes a lot to work through. (laughs) Like, it takes a lifetime of unlearning and of, like, learning something else in its place. And that's not going to happen overnight, and that's okay. And it sucks, again. And I I hope it helps to hear it from us, like, that your impulse about him not being, you know super reliable as a narrator um is a good one but that it's also okay to not fully believe it yet yep and to just say don't beat yourself up for the fact that this periodically comes up like yeah don't don't be hard on yourself for having feelings um just in those moments when you remember it or you think about it again just kind of say to yourself as neutrally as possible I'm feeling sad because a stranger hurt my feelings. And that's okay. Um, yeah. and, and let that moment ride itself out. Like, just let yourself feel it all the way through. Um, don't try to say, I should be tougher than this. I should be over this by now. Just let yourself feel the feeling. Eventually, it will burn itself out. You know, eventually there is a limit to how sad or guilty or self-loathing you can feel. And it will, you know, it will finish. The feeling will be done. Um, yeah. And you will have seen it, you know, start and peak and 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 exit um and you will realize afterwards like oh i'm still here that feeling came and eventually went away and i was here this whole time um and i can't rush it off the premises by trying to shoo it away 
Um, and then it went to, when it does come up, I'll just remind myself I'm feeling really sad because somebody really was trying to hurt my feelings. And it's awful to think that a stranger walking down the street would want to hurt me like that. Um, but again, to just remember, like, I, I don't think you would take that guy's opinion if he, like, walked down and immediately was like, invest in hog futures. You wouldn't be like, thank you, objective stranger. Like, he's just not somebody who I think has displayed good judgment or good instincts or good people skills. I, I, I don't think you need to ascribe to him um, expertise. Yeah, no. And I also think it's probably, like, if he were somebody who saw a, like, picture of you online and said this, like, I, I feel like you probably wouldn't remember it as clearly because it didn't happen in person. Like, there's that physicality, I think, adds to the issue, like, adds to the the hurt. Um, yeah. The aggressiveness so of that, that cruelty. Well. Like, the aggressiveness, yeah. And, like, the the invasion and the violation of, like, being in a physical space with that person when they do this and when they say this versus, like, if he were just some guy on the internet, like, anonymously adding you on Twitter, like, you would – you wouldn't care. Like, you probably would be like, okay, cool, muted or blocked, whatever, I'm done. Um, so I don't know if that helps to consider that in a different context, how it would have affected you or not. Um, but there's that as well. I think that it's important to remember that, like, yeah, a physical space is going to have a different uh, response from you than maybe it would elsewhere. And that he said it to your boyfriend. I know. Like, I can't get over that. That's horrible. And the implication there is that, like, your looks are a reflection on him, that your boyfriend yeah. deserves a certain level of attractiveness that is somehow universally agreed upon and that he has yep. merited by virtue of his own appearance um, and that he needs to do something about it. I mean, that's horrible. A everything about this is just like. It's just the worst. J just awful. Yeah. Um, like, again, not into super, not super into, like, violence, but I do own and drive a 300-pound wheelchair every day. So, like, I'm inclined to use it creatively if I were to ever meet this guy. I cannot condone this behavior. I know. Um, but I, I certainly can wish that this dude would someday wake up and realize what he did with the full weight of the human <laughs> conscious, conscience. And then just You're a really, better like, person than I. That. That's not true. Um, I, feel like, I feel like what we're learning here is that you should not have invited me onto this show. <laughs> You're doing fabulous. Uh, this, yeah, this guy. Yeah, I, I get that this one's going to sting. This is just going to be something that you can't, you can't pull this one out of where it's embedded in your mind. Um, yeah. I, like, don't feel bad that this is staying with you. This would stay with me, too. Um, yeah. But I don't think that this guy was just so objectively moved by your appearance that he had to say what he said. I think he was cruel and drunk and boorish and sexist and wanted to hurt you and just went for like what you know what's the easiest way to hurt a woman in a like sexist misogynist society is go for her appearance like it was yep. not creative or nuanced or based on like observation like it's just the thing sexists go for and i'm glad by the way that your boyfriend like tried to find the guy checked in on you um that his response was not just like oh what are you gonna do like I i'm really glad that he yeah. was um neither overreacting and like trying to throw the guy into a river nor underreacting and being like don't worry about it it's fine like i'm glad that he was there for you um and i'm i'm glad that you're um kind of thinking about how you can be kinder to yourself in the aftermath of this agreed and i just hope he gets a paper cut on the webbing in between all of his fingers every day for the rest of his life see we're on the same level again now yeah, yeah, I like this. That. 
<laughs> there's that uh, violent impulse. Well, <laughs> Kayla, thank you so much for coming on this show. Thank you for inviting me on. It was so much fun. Did you did you learn anything? Did you reach any sudden epiphanies? Do you think that anything uh, is going to change about your life? I mean, I definitely learned some new information about the 80s economic situation. Um, right. So that was cool. And, okay, to be real, though, like what you said about feeling like we have to suffer in order to deserve whatever, like – I was not kidding when I said that really hit me really, really hard and is something that I've been dealing with a lot lately personally. So like, thank you for saying that because it did, it did affect me. So there's well, that. I hope it affects you in a way that is eventually helpful. Um, oh, it was extremely <laughs> helpful. I'm sure. Good. Good. Thanks, Kayla. Get out of here. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.